This is a Cato Special Podcast. I'm Caleb Brown. Brett Kavanaugh, a judge on the D.C. Circuit, is Donald Trump's nominee to the Supreme Court. Cato adjunct scholar Andrew Grossman discusses Kavanaugh's record on the D.C. Circuit relating to regulation, abortion, due process, and other areas. We spoke today. We can dispense with a lot of the biographical details here. In his time on the uh, D.C. Circuit, uh, what do we know about how he feels about all of these agencies that he has to deal with. Sure. So Judge Kavanaugh sat on the D.C. Circuit for 12 years, and that court is our nation's foremost regulatory court uh, adjudicating issues regarding the administrative state. Uh, it's got a steady diet of regulatory challenges, challenges to exercises of government power. And Judge Kavanaugh has shown himself to be uh, one of the foremost defenders of the constitutional separation of powers and one of the um, really a bulwark against overweening and overaggressive government. When government agencies uh, seek to take their statutory authority and uh, ride it out to, to new and unexpected ends, Judge Kavanaugh is the one who reels them back in and tells them, you don't have the authority to do that. You're violating people's rights and you really have to live uh, within the power that Congress has given you. Um, and on that court, uh, which is often so deferential uh, to these administrative agencies, uh, it really is a breath of fresh air. Um, he really does enforce the law as it's written, uh, and he's very uh, aggressive in enforcing constitutional strictures against uh, aggressive exercise of government power. So with re specific respect to Chevron deference, this is the general deference that uh, judges typically give to agencies where certain things are believed to be unclear. Uh, in the very few opinions that relate to that, one of which I have a personal interest in, um, he seems to have to essentially give, let the agency, he doesn't hold any water for the agency when they're making an argument on behalf of their regulatory power. That's exactly right. Um, you know, we call this thing Chevron deference when courts defer to agencies' statutory interpretations after a Supreme Court case called Chevron versus NRDC, but it actually arose on Judge Kavanaugh's court, the D.C. Circuit, because it hears so many of these regulatory challenges. Uh, I think a lot of judges on that court were getting sick of the the, the large number of policy-based challenges that they were getting to uh, agency actions, and they effectively threw their hands up in the air and said, well, unless what the agency is doing is entirely insane, uh, the agency is going to win, even if it is, let's say, a little bit unlawful. Um, Justice Kavanaugh, uh, Judge Kavanaugh, rather, has no truck for that. Um, he's a lot like Justice Scalia uh, in that he has a very um, keen sense of statutory interpretation, reading his uh, opinions, interpreting statutes, sometimes on the most obscure topics under the sun, uh, is a delight because of how carefully he engages with the text and he extracts all of the meaning from it. And that means that when he has interpreted the statute to the fullest of his ability, there really generally is not any room left for the court to defer to the agency. He does what a court is supposed to do, which is to say what the law is. Um, Cass Sunstein writes this at Bloomberg. He says, uh, it would be genuinely depressing if the public debate over Judge Kavanaugh and the confirmation process turn out to be focused on one question. How conservative is he exactly? That's a terrible question because it ignores a crucial difference between two kinds of judges, a difference that cuts across traditional party lines. Uh, he writes that uh, some judges and some conservatives insist on judicial restraint. They want judges to back off 
They deplore Roe v. Wade not because of their political convictions, but because the Supreme Court seized on ambiguous constitutional provisions in order to strike down the laws of numerous states. So uh, it doesn't seem that uh, Judge Kavanaugh, in the sense when we talk about restraint, is, or I should say deference, is that kind of judge. Is that right? Well, I agree with Sunstein in that it's a fool's errand to try and label a judge liberal or conservative, because especially during the confirmation process, you're looking at somebody who's going to have a career that lasts decades. And the issues that we consider to be liberal on one hand or conservative on the other hand, or free markets or libertarian or what have you, those are going to shift over time. And the issues that we're paying attention to that are at the forefront of national debate are going to shift over time. And it's impossible to say how somebody's going to rule on one issue or another issue outside the context of a particular case. That said, you know, there also is a bit of an artificiality to this idea between judicial activism and judicial restraint. Um, it's not exactly that they're two sides of the same coin. Um, the law has certain requirements and it's the judge's duty, as difficult as it may be in some cases, to say what the law is, to resolve these concrete cases and disputes that are brought before them. When a judge uh, extends beyond the text, uh, of the statute or of the Constitution to create a new right uh, or to uh, nullify a part of a right or something like that, um, obviously the judge is going outside of the judicial role. But on the flip side, if the judge is restrained and refuses to enforce a particular constitutional right, say, for example, the contracts clause of the Constitution, that's equally problematic. In either case, the judge is effectively putting a thumb on the scale and is ruling uh, other than based on legal materials and legal requirements. In other words, the judge isn't carrying out the statute or the contract or the Constitution. The judge is doing something else entirely. What I like about Judge Kavanaugh um, is that that is not the way that he approaches judging. He's been very clear uh, over years in many articles and speeches that the judge's role is to be a neutral, to extract the meaning from the text that it is that they ought to be applying, to work with precedent in a fair manner, to come to, into cases with an open mind. And that's what you see again and again and again in his decisions. You know, when you look at the uh, the the case names of his decisions, you know, you always have somebody versus somebody else. Sometimes there's a government agency on one side and a person on the other or something like that. When you look at the case names, you can never tell who's going to win. All you can tell when you see that Judge Kavanaugh is on the panel is that he's going to follow the law wherever it leads him, even if that means that the government is going to lose. So uh, one of these cases that uh, uh, where there's two names here um, is Meshel v. Higginbotham. And he, uh, according to my colleague Patrick Eddington here, uh, Kavanaugh voted to allow FBI agents to detain and interrogate overseas a U.S. citizen without due process of any kind. Sure. Well, you know, I think there are two things that are significant about Judge Kavanaugh's national security cases. I mean, the first is that they're within a framework that the Supreme Court, um, you know, has 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 uh, established uh, over centuries. Um, that really does provide a great deal of discretion for the executive, particularly where it concerns activities occurring overseas. Um, so in that sense, they're really, you know, the, the D.C. Circuit has had relatively few dissents in national security cases, not because the judges are necessarily in agreement about, from a policy point of view, how they would like to see these cases turn out, but because the law's requirements and, frankly, the, the, the great deal of discretion that it gives to the executive branch is, is, pretty, is pretty consistent and pretty well 
well established. So faithful execution of the marching orders from the Supreme Court in that regard. Well, you know, this is why it's so difficult in every instance to extrapolate from a judge's decisions when they're on a district court or on a court of appeals versus how that judge might rule on the Supreme Court. Because obviously a judge who is on an intermediate uh, court of appeals like the D.C. Circuit is going to be bound by Supreme Court precedent um, and certainly can't deviate from what that court has said the law is because that would be lawless. Um, a judge who did that would not be fulfilling a proper judicial role. Um, at the same time, um, when you look at areas where there is play in Supreme Court decisions or where the law is open um, or where new legal, where legal principles are being applied in a particularly context, that's where you can tell how a judge thinks, how they look at the issues. And that's, to my mind, is a much better predictor. So if you look, for example, at Judge Kavanaugh's decision in PHH Corporation, um, where he held that the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau was unconstitutionally established, what he did there was took a series of Supreme Court cases that looked at the executive, uh, the president's authority to control executive agencies, with, in other words, uh, these independent agencies within the executive branch. And he realized that the CFPB was an entirely new new form of agency that, because the way it was structured, went far beyond anything that the courts had ever allowed previously and seemed to clash with fundamental powers of executive accountability. So that's an area where you see that uh, he focused a lot on separation of powers issues and drew them into a new context. I would say the same thing uh, in, in another holding of PHH that has gotten a little bit less attention, but is probably as a practical matter even more significant. That case also involved a due process issue because the CFPB effectively made up new law and then applied it against this company in the context of an agency adjudication. Um, in other words, sort of a, a kangaroo court before the agency. So it made up its own law and then uh, applied it to somebody. Um, Judge Kavanaugh, in that context, held that uh, the agency so doing violated the due process clause by retroactively applying the law uh, against uh, a regulated entity. So if you're thinking about how Judge uh, Kavanaugh weighs and values due process concepts, I think PHH Corp is actually a pretty good case to look at. And I would note that it's uh, that decision was actually upheld by the Ambank uh, D.C. Circuit, um, or at least the aspect of it relating to the due process issue. That's why I say, as a practical matter, it actually has a really big impact. All right. So uh, going forward, obviously, the big uh, thing that groups on the left really care about, some of them were uh, arguing about, uh, you know, basically opposing uh, anyone that uh, Donald Trump would nominate to the Supreme Court over this one issue uh, if he is uh, generally engages with precedent in a fair way. Uh, is there anything in his process as a judge on the D.C. Circuit that would tell you anything about how uh, he would view uh, a case that might threaten Roe v. Wade? Well, I mean, first of all, you know, as concerns, you know, the attacks that were already seeing on Judge Kavanaugh, it was basically silly season last night where a number of groups unleashed their their ready to go press releases saying, you know, group whatever uh, opposes judge. And then there was just a blank uh, because they hadn't quite gotten around to filling in uh, Kavanaugh yet. Um, so it, at least as of yet, uh, there's not necessarily a lot of substance uh, to these attacks um, as a judge. Um, Judge Kavanaugh has not really had the opportunity to rule on many cases uh, involving abortion. Uh, there was the dust up earlier this year concerning um, unaccompanied minors uh, in um, government custody uh, seeking abortions. And you know, Justice Kavanaugh played it down the middle. Um, his view was that the government under the statutory authority and the governing precedent um, 
would be able to put off uh, giving access to an abortion while allowing the unaccompanied minor to find effectively a chaperone, uh, you know, as is typically done in these types of cases where medical issues are at play uh, to to, uh, you know, facilitate that that medical process. Um, I don't want to use weasel words here because I want to make clear that I, I think it's what's interesting is that Judge Kavanaugh did something that is very characteristic of his decisions, which is that he didn't treat it as an abortion case. He didn't treat it as a hot button issue. His view was, let's just apply the law the same way the law would apply in any other case. Um, and that led him to a, a decision um, that, you know, really did strike a middle ground. Um I think there are going to be a lot of people trying to draw very uh, tenuous uh, conclusions uh, from that decision, but I don't think there's really all that much you can say about it, given the context in which the case arose, as well as the fact that the um, you know rights, uh, privacy rights, and abortion rights, and things of that nature weren't really at issue in the case. So, final analysis on uh, Kavanaugh as a judge. I mean, every, everybody, all the commentary that I've seen says this guy is is, is very substantial and serious and young, which of course is a, uh, a key consideration for nominations to the Supreme Court. But uh, what is your take on his career broadly? I mean, Judge Kavanaugh, is, is, it's, like, it's like he came out of a manufacturing plant uh, for, for Supreme Court justices. He, he's charming, he's witty, he's a wonderful writer, he is a deep legal thinker. Um, he lives and breathes the law and the Constitution. If you read his decisions, um, and he's got over 300 of them on the record, um, you will not find a single one where he did not grapple carefully with the uh, arguments raised by the parties, where he didn't take seriously um, the different points that they raised. If you listen to him at oral argument, he is thoroughly engaged, um, asking smart questions and really getting to the heart of arguments very quickly. Um, he's another Scalia. He's another Thomas. Frankly, he's another Gorsuch. He's all of that uh, rolled into one as somebody who I think, uh, you know, is what you look for um, in a potential Supreme Court justice, somebody with the background, somebody with the ability, uh, somebody with the wisdom and, uh, you know, somebody with the demonstrated, uh, you know, judging uh, ability that uh, Judge Kavanaugh has. Um, you know, if, if this were uh, just based on the merits and if you weren't playing politics, um, you know, with this nomination, uh, he would be uh, at the top of just about everybody's list and he would be in a sh he would be a shoe in for the court. All right. You mentioned uh, Scalia. And, and now I want to ask, uh, where does he come down on issues related to criminal defense? Judge Kavanaugh has had, um, you know, uh, some number of criminal cases, albeit because he's on the D.C. Circuit, they really only get criminal cases that arise from the District of Columbia. And so it's many fewer uh, than uh, judges on other courts uh, receive. Um, I think in a broad sense, if you look at some of his de uh, decisions regarding due process uh, and concepts like that, I would say that he's broadly Scalia-esque in the way that we've seen uh, in, in his first term and a half or so on the court uh, from Justice Gorsuch. In other words, the Constitution does provide certain rights uh, to criminal defendants, to people who are the subject of criminal investigations. And Judge Kavanaugh, um, I think, has a demonstrated record of enforcing those. In other words, he's not somebody who is looking at this as a conservative liberal point of view or as a tough on crime or weak on crime or, 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 or anything of that sort, uh, he seems to play it down the middle, which ultimately means uh, that, like Scalia, he may stand to be uh, a friend of people um, who are going up against the government, uh, including in criminal cases. 
Andrew Grossman is an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 